Thank you for tuning in to our Bear Creek AG podcast. You are about to listen to our weekly Bible study with Pastor Tony. Thanks for joining in. Okay, we're going to pick up uh, from where we left off last week. We're going to begin chapter 10 of the book of Hebrews. So if you're there in your Bibles, please do so. As I am preparing to do this, just to let you know, uh, this Sunday uh, we are starting, and you know me, I'm a Mr. Series guy. Um, just a little history for you. I plan to preach on fasting this Sunday because the day after Christmas because we begin our annual 21-day fast on January 2nd. It comes early this year. Um, but then the Lord just said, hey, kind of led me since I preached this past Sunday on, on Christmas and Advent, the first coming of Christ. I thought, well, let me, would it be neat if I preached on the second Advent, the second coming of Christ, the Sunday after Christmas? And as I began doing it, the Lord just led me to, okay, just preach a series on the end time. So for the next five to six weeks, uh, we're going to be in the book of Mark chapter 13, looking at what Jesus said about the end time. So that begins this Sunday. Uh, and the message title is, We Are Living in the End Times. And Jesus declared that in Mark 13. So uh, obviously you may be out of town, family, but uh, you can always go back and listen to it online. But it's going to be a, a great, uh, I believe it's going to be, I don't know where I'm going with it. I just know it's going to be five to six weeks. And I do feel like it's of the Lord. So hopefully during our prayer and fasting time, and as we hear these messages, I do believe that it's going to be, I think the God, the, the purpose of this is our, our, our Heavenly Father, God wants us to understand the urgency of the hour. Yeah. It's the urgency of the hour. I, I really feel a quickening in my spirit that uh, He's coming soon. He's going to take us out of this world very, very soon. So, um, and I think we need to be very uh, mindful of that. So you want to, you're going to want to be here if you can uh, this Sunday. No Sunday school, but we will have church at 1030. Well, chapter 10 of Hebrews. Let's start reading the first four verses and we'll see how far we get tonight. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifice repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped, speaking of the priest being offered, or the priest offering the sacrifice, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilt for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sin. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. This is that last part there, verse 4 is a repeat, or verse 4 is a repeat of, of, of what the writer said in chapter 9. So let me ask you a question. Let's start off with some, is a, not outside the context of this, well, even within the context of Scripture, is a shadow a bad thing? Shadow's not a bad thing, is it? Shadow's not a bad thing. Some, sometimes a shadow can tell you a lot, right? But the shadow is not the substance of what is causing the shadow. I can cast a shadow. That shadow is not a bad thing, right? But it, it's, it's, it's not really, it's not me. It's not, that shadow is not me. It's just an outline of who I am. It's, it's not the consistency of who I am. It's just an outline of who I am. And, and, and so the Old Covenant and its laws were not themselves bad or evil, right? They weren't bad or evil. Uh, they are only incomplete, they were, on, they were insufficient to bring total cleansing from sin because what were they? They were a foreshadowing of what were to, be, to happen. The shadow can never make those who approach perfect. So the, the, old, form of, the old Testament form of, of, of sacrifice, of worship, 
could not, we've, we covered this last two weeks in chapter 9, could not make the worshiper perfect, could not cleanse the worshiper, right? So he goes on and says, if so, then the sacrifices would have stopped, wouldn't they? In other words, you would have went and sacrificed an animal, and you would never have to sacrifice another animal if that sacrifice of that animal made you clean permanently. But we know it didn't. And then, so that's, that's what he's right. Do you, you see the writer's point? He's made it several times in this book. What's the problem with this animal sacrifices? It didn't solve the sin problem. It didn't solve the sin problem. If you, if you sinned and you made a sacrifice, that would cover that sin. But the next day, if you sinned again, you'd have to make another sacrifice. And then on the Day of Atonement, once a year, the high priest would go and make atonement for the whole nation, for himself and the whole nation. But it was incomplete. And when Jesus came, Brother Jim? The sacrifice only forgave past sin. That's right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. And, and the writer goes on to say, not only that, but every time you have to make a sacrifice, it was a reminder that you had sinned and needed to make that sacrifice. Remember last week he said Christ, His sacrifice was once and for all. But before Christ, it wasn't once and for all. It was a repeated thing. that It was impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. It's interesting to note that Christianity, think about this. It is the only religion by where one great event brings salvation through, through the centuries and throughout the world. We, we, we celebrate the birth of Jesus this week, and then we will celebrate... The, the death and resurrection of Jesus in a couple of months. And the, that one coming of Christ, this one event, it, 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 it changed the world forever. And it's distinct, distinctly our doctrine. We, it really is a neat thing when you think about how God did this. Now, if you continue on, he quotes uh, from Psalms 40. A lot of quotes in here from the Old Testament. And the reason why is because he's, he's, he's writing this to... There again, Jews. And so they knew their Old Testament. So he's, he's, he's proven his point. So he, he gives the prophetic foundation for Christ's perfect sacrifice. He says in verse 5, Therefore, therefore why? Because these animal sacrifices were not perfect, they could not, they only remind you that you're sinful. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. Verse 8. First he said, Sacrifice and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, Here am I. I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. So it's interesting that this chapter that we're reading falls on this week of Christmas because we're celebrating the birth of Christ, and here he's talking about why Christ came. Jesus Christ came to set the captive free. He came to set us free from the bondage of sin. He came so that sin would no longer have a hold or power. Death would no longer be feared. He came for those very reasons. And that's why we celebrate the birth of Christ, because He, he came. In, in Psalm 40, verse 6 and 8, it shows that prophetically Jesus declared the insufficient character of the old character. That's why He had to come, right? He's declared it. He declared His willingness to offer a perfect sacrifice Himself 
under the new covenant. That's why he's quoting this. That's why the writer of Hebrews is quoting this. He's it's speaking of Jesus. All right? Now remember, repeated sacrifices of animals did nothing for them other in that moment. Since the people struggled with obedience and the sacrifice of animals was insufficient, what pleased God can only come through Jesus, the incarnated Son of God. He said there has to be a death. There has to be a price for sin. And it took a perfect price uh, to bring the, 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 the forgiveness that we truly needed. And so the writer points out some interesting facts about Jesus' coming. First, the sacrifice of Jesus was determined before the foundation of the world. Think about that. We hear that a lot. There's several scriptures, one in Revelation, one in 1 Peter that speaks to this. But before the foundation of the world, God had this plan. He was going to create this world, this universe. He was going to put man in this world. And because God is all-knowing, He knew that man would sin. That didn't change His plans. He says, I'm still doing this because I said I'm going to do this. I plan to do this. But what we're going to do is Jesus... Even before we create this, you need to know that one day you're going to have to die on the cross. You have to be born in the flesh and die on the cross for mankind so that we can redeem mankind. That's what that scripture is saying right there. It, it, it foretold that. that. It was determined before the foundation of the world and therefore was God's plan and will from the beginning. That is really neat when you think about it. God can say, no, we're going to wipe those plans away. We're going to start something different. No, no. And, and, and truthfully, no matter what other plan he may have had, I think Satan would have tried to come in and undermine that as well, right? He said, no, we're going with this plan. Think about that. God's best, his, his thinking was for us. This, although we're not perfect, before the fall, everything was perfect. I mean, that's pretty cool when you think about it. One day we're going to return to perfect, right? It's going to be a new Garden of Eden, right? The new heavens, the new earth. That was God's plan from the beginning. Jesus' incarnation itself is viewed as an act of submission to God's will and is proof that Jesus existed before His birth. That scripture proved that Jesus existed. If you thought, well, Jesus came to this world when He was born. No, He existed. We know that also from John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word. But He existed. There's proof that He existed. And He submitted to His, God, to his Father's will. How could Jesus submit to coming to the earth due to His Father's will if He didn't already exist? So doctrinally, we now see that A, it was God's plan from the beginning for Jesus to come to earth and die. And B, it was also God, Jesus existed before Him because this was part of His plan to submit to the will of His Father. Okay, That's important doctrinally. Understand that. That's very important doctrinally. All right, then Jesus submitted to God the Father's will, had its ultimate fulfillment in His obedience to the cross. This desire to do God's will was shown in the Garden of Gethsemane and fulfilled at the cross. So He submitted to the coming and He submitted to the will of God to dying on the cross. So the point the writers made is that it was God's plan from the beginning for our existence, for Jesus to come and establish a new covenant by dying for all. And by doing so, His sacrifice makes all who receive that sacrifice, you are holy. You're not going to be holy. You're holy. You are in the process of becoming holy, but from God's point of view, you're already holy. You're in the process of being saved, but from God's perspective, you are saved. You're righteous as of fifthly rags, but He sees the righteousness of Christ. Therefore, you are found righteous in God through Christ. Okay? The work is done. The work is done. John? That's right. Satan is not all-knowing. But he didn't know either God knew that Satan was going to fall because 
have yes. to tempt Adam and Eve for the falling of that. Yes. Yeah, God knew that. God foreknew all that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because God's all-knowing. It kind of blows our mind, but he, he knows. That's why he knows the hour that he's going to send his son back. We're going to get to that here in a minute. Not necessarily the hour, but the fact that Jesus, we're going to get to that in a minute. Jesus is waiting. He's sitting. He, he's waiting for his enemies to become his footstool. When does that take place? Second coming. When he comes and defeats all those on earth who are anti against him, and Satan's thrown in the bottomless pit, and the and the um, the false uh, uh, the antichrist himself is is no the, excuse me the false false prophet is thrown into into the uh, lake of fire. I'm getting I mean that that's not for tonight, but yeah we're we're about to get to there. But absolutely, John, absolutely. Okay. Now the writer points out that the work of Christ, as I said, is finished in verse 11. Day after day, listen, listen now, okay, put your mind, put yourself in the lives of a first century Jew who has converted from Judaism to Christianity, who's gone from making, they were still making animal sacrifices at this time. By the way, let me say this. I said something last week and I wanted to make sure that I was accurate, so I did research. Uh, they, the Jews... Um, I said this, and I was correcting this, are not making sacrifices today because they don't have the temple. I mentioned something about where I read about Jews doing something with chickens in New York. That, wasn't, that had nothing to do with, with sacrificial, ceremonial sacrifice. That was something totally different. So anyway, I want to make sure that was clear because I wouldn't say there was... I didn't mean to imply, if I came across, that they were sacrificing chickens for, as in place of lambs and goats. It had something totally different. I did my research on it, and I just wanted to come back there, okay? All right, so I just, that, this may be remind me. I want to make sure I'm accurate with what I'm teaching here. So, thousands of chickens, that's right. Yeah, that's good. Brother Jim said, we, we, Christian church sacrifices thousands of chickens every Sunday, don't we now? Amen. I, I did my damage on some last night. I went to eat chicken wings last night. Mm, man, I put me down some chicken wings. Oh, anyways, yeah, let, let's get back on track here. So, so put your mind in the lives of a first century uh, Jew who is converted from Judaism, uh, blood sacrifices, going to the temple, and now you've converted to Christianity. Yes, Josh. What, being in that mind state, if you didn't make a sacrifice for your sins, how would the community look at you? Well, you... Well, they wouldn't necessarily stone you, but you would have to understand that in the under the old covenant, if you didn't, then any moment that well, you could be shunned absolutely. But any but it, it was more the fact that uh, their faith in that that brought them. And there again, I, I'm going to say forgiveness, but we we know that it wasn't true forgiveness. It was a covering. Remember, the Old Testament sacrifice was a covering. It wasn't a forgiving. They couldn't be truly forgiven until Jesus died. All right, but if Obviously, if they if they were not making sacrifices uh, for their sin, then what what would happen to them if if they should die? Well, that was the purpose of that sacramental sacrifice was so that they knew that they were they were in, at peace with God, that they were right with God. So if they didn't do it, then they weren't at peace or right with God. And that's kind of the, the, the turmoil, I believe, that the Orthodox Jews face. That's why they want the temple rebuilt. Now, we're getting back into eschatology. They want they're going to come a day that the temple's going to be rebuilt for the purpose that they can go back in there. Uh, for blood sacrifices, a absolutely. So, but the the point I'm trying to make is if you try to if you try to think like they were their form of worship 
And now it's, 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 you're saying, you don't have to do this anymore. You just have to receive this. It was based on, on works. Isn't that, what we, isn't that what Christians struggle with today? I have to earn my salvation. No, you don't. You don't do the things you do to be saved. You do the things that God tells you to do because you are saved. There's a big difference in that. They had to sacrifice animals to be, quote-unquote, saved, if we want to use that term. It was an outward thing. I mentioned, I mentioned this last two weeks. That was, it was an outward thing to help transform the inward. And Jesus came with a new covenant. I'm going to write my, my law on your heart. It was an internal change that would affect the outward. It's a totally different thing, see. And, and, and that's what they're dealing with here. Plus, they're dealing with the persecution. He'll, he'll get to a little bit of this. We probably won't get to the end of chapter 10, but if you can read ahead, he's going to talk about this. These, we forget. Sometimes when we take scriptures, like he's going, this is the chapter where it says, don't forsake the, the assemblies together of yourself. You know, we talk about church. And, and not that we take that out of context, but sometimes we use it, but we don't always think about it within the context of this. We use that more as a tongue lashing. You know, you ought to come together. You ought to be here. Come on, if I'm going to prepare a message, you ought to, if I'm your pastor, this is your church, right? Sometimes we look at it that way, but within the context of Hebrews chapter 10, he's talking about it from an encouraging thing. Because why? They've been separated from family that didn't convert to Christianity. Some of them may have lost their business because who is going to come by from you? Or if you had a job, Orthodox Jew, that you're Christian, they're going to shun you, see? Within the whole, that's what I'm saying. You've got to put yourselves... In the mindset, it, it would be like, it would, it would be like, I mean, this is probably not the best analogy, and I don't want to chase a rabbit too far. It's like transplanting you to, to Saudi Arabia, to a Muslim country. And if you're a Christian in a Muslim country, you're shunned. You're shunned. You actually have to pay a tax as a non-Muslim to live in that nation, you know. So it's actually even taxation on top of that. It's that kind of thing. So we don't appreciate that because... For the most part, most people, Christians, yeah, yeah. So he says, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. They never could and they never will. But when this priest had offered for all times one sacrifice, this priest, speaking of Jesus, sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God, and since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstools, for by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. So we're holy, but we're being made holy. We're perfect, but yet we're being made perfect. We're fully saved, but yet we are being saved. We're sanctified, but we're in the process of being sanctified. All right. So the priest, what did he do? Every day, every day he stood in the temple making sacrifices. All right. My, my, my wife, she beat me. Yesterday, so today she has to go and make sacrifice for abusing her husband. All right, so the priest is down there. Someone, someone did something against their neighbor, a, a false report, or lied, or or lusted, or whatever. You just you can go through the Levitical law. They would go down if they did it the next day. Well, they need to go do it again. Or okay, maybe I'm only going to do it once a month. I, I mean, there again, I'm not saying exactly how they did, but I'm trying to get. But the priest, that was a full time job. That's what he did. There's several of them, only one high priest, but there's a lot of priests, the priesthood. And this is what they did, and they did it every day over and over. And they could, you could have, a, you, because of your lifestyle, you could have multiple sacrifices throughout the year. And that, because why? Well, sin, 
I made a sacrifice, but yet I sinned again. Got to make another sacrifice, okay? So keep that in mind as, 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 as you read that part, okay? He stood there, sacrificed himself once and for all. This work is done. He said, now Jesus come along. This work is done. He's now seated because the work is done at the right hand of God, waiting for his enemies to be made his footstool. And this looks forward to the consummation of the work of Jesus, and every part connects, all right? Jesus' first coming leads to his perfect life. He came. He lived a perfect life. His perfect life led to his atoning death. His death could not be atoning if he didn't live a perfect life. His atoning death leads to his resurrection. I don't want to say the death of Jesus is valueless without the resurrection, but if we're not going to rise again, see, it, 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 they, they go together. So we need the resurrection. His resurrection leads to his ascension into glory. Why is that important for us? Well, one, because we want the Holy Spirit to come. But now he's at the right hand of the Father as our high priest making atonement. He had to go to make atonement for you and I. Just because his blood was shed on the cross, now, remember we read that last week. He didn't, he didn't enter the temple here on earth. He entered into the presence of God, the temple that's not made with human hands, going back to chapter 9. And he put his blood on the mercy seat of God. Right? He had to ascend uh, to glory. His ascension to glory leads to his return and eventually his triumph over his enemies. And that takes place with the second advent. At the end of the tribulation period, Jesus will come back on a white horse, not a babe in a manger. I love the way this chapter falls right here, Christmas week. And he's going to defeat his enemies. And all those who've come against his people. All those who persecuted the Christians who, who, who became Christians during the tribulation period, who died as martyrs, those who come against the Jewish people. He's going to come and he's going to take revenge upon his enemy. He's seated, waiting to return the second time to defeat his enemies once and for all. Questions? Comments? Amens? Yeah, praise God. <laughs> you know? Jim? Brother Jim? i got to go back just a bit because I'm sure. trying to wrap my head around something that I had never heard. Okay. God already knew Jesus was going to be offered for a sacrifice for us before Satan ever failed. Is that what you're saying? Well, okay, I didn't say that. I'm not saying that's incorrect, but I'm not saying that's what I said. What, I don't know the timeline between Satan falling and God's plan for redemption, for a creation of the earth and redemption for man. What, what I did say was, is when God and his planning to create this universe and this world and put man on it, knew before he ever created Adam that Adam and Eve would sin. So his plan was, we got a plan. We're going to send Jesus, you're going to be the plan. So his plan was, Jesus was to be offered and sacrificed if Adam and Eve sinned to... Right. Well, he knew they would. That's what... That's what that's, that, that's, but that's what... Make, that, I won't say it's confusing me, but it's astonishing to me. I'm not God, though, right? His ways are not my way. Knowing that Eve, Adam and Eve would sin, God still created them. From the foundations of the, of the world, this was His plan. What, okay, we can debate what are the foundations of the world. Well, I take that to mean as He's building the world, as He's planning it, as He's laying out the, the blueprint for the world that He knew. Or maybe if you want to say, well, he, for God so loved the world. Well, from the foundations, maybe from the creation of the first man, if you want to look at the world as mankind, then from the foundation, the first man, 
he knew that there would be sin, and so therefore his plan, see my point? You know, you can, you know, is it the world as a creation of the earth, the physical, or is it the world as in for God so loved the world and mankind? So, because but, there was no plan for before Adam. Until he created Adam, he created Adam with a plan. Yes, he created Adam with a plan knowing that Adam, Adam would Adam, sin. He didn't have the plan. That's right. Well, why, why couldn't he? Well, no, no. Right. He would already know. He would already know that he, sin was going to go. Yeah. But he, but isn't that isn't that the love and the grace of God and the submission of Christ? Christ came knowing that not everybody would receive him, that he would be rejected. He he right he. I think what Brother Jim is trying to allude to is that that did Adam have the choice to sin? Yes, Adam had the choice to sin. God foreknew that Adam. God did not stop it though, because why Adam had free choice. See? And because of that, God still permitted it, but He says, this is going to happen, but I'm going to have a plan for mankind. So the plan was, first of all, obviously before the law, was walking in obedience to God. We, we see plenty of, of the patriarchs that did that, okay? Um, and boy, I don't want to chase that. I've got, I've got to go down a rabbit trail, but I'm not going to do that, okay? And then when God created the law and the sacrificial law, then from there, that's how they could be, I almost used the term in right relationship God, but it really wasn't complete. It could not be completed until Jesus died and rose again. That's why as we talked last week, I believe it was last week, forgive me, my weeks run together, we talked about Shul and the two sides of Shul. You had Hades and you had what we call paradise or Abraham's bosom. So those people pre-law and post-law, but pre-Christ's death, they didn't go to heaven if they, were in, if they were in right relationship with God through obedience. Okay, we're going to get to the... See, we're about to get to the faith. Remember, the faith chapter is 11. He's going to start talking about by faith, Abraham, by faith, Noah, by faith. They didn't have the law back then, but it was by their belief in what God told them, and their proof of what they believed God told them was their obedience to what God told them to do they were found righteous, but they never ascended to the presence of God until Jesus rose from the grave. I want to see that written down. Because I believe as soon as I die, if I die pre-Jesus or post-Jesus, I would be in the presence of the Lord. I believe that. Okay, then show me, show me where, pre, show me where pre-Jesus, you, show me where pre-Jesus, because I just showed you post-Jesus and pre-Jesus, how, why did Jesus have to ascend into Shul? If they were in Hades, it was done. There, there's no second chance once you die. He was in paradise, Abraham's bosom. Hey, Father Abraham, would you please send Lazarus back to my brother so they won't end up where I'm at? He looked across the chasm. Now, I'm sorry, if they wouldn't believe the prophets and they killed the prophets, they're not going to believe someone else. Well, will you at least let Abraham, uh, uh, Lazarus come over here and tip his finger into water and cool my tongue? Why? Because the rich, the rich guy is tormented, right? Jesus ascended into paradise and preached the gospel when those people in paradise, not hell, not Hades, when they, when they believed him, 
except through Jesus Christ. No man comes to the Father except for Jesus. He is the only way to heaven. He's the only way to the presence of God. He is the high priest. You, I hope this is clicking with you now. This is what we've been studying for five weeks. He is the high priest. You could not even get into the presence of God because in no way were you perfect or found righteous. Even by the blood, the blood of goats and animals did not forgive sin. How can you as a sinful man stand before God in His throne room? You can't. Negative. He could see ahead of it, but brother, how could, how could the blood be on the mercy seat in the throne room of God if Jesus hadn't died? That's why those saints of God never came out of hell, and, or not hell, paradise, until Jesus died and went down there. And He preached to them, and they said, yes, the Messiah has come, and He took the keys. Jesus took the authority over both those chasms and He released them into the presence of God. And there were some graves that burst open in Jerusalem on the day of the resurrection. That's how powerful the blood of Jesus is. I'm sorry if I get excited, but I'm telling you something. No, sir, I will argue to the grave. Before Jesus' death, you could not even... You, you couldn't go into the presence of God. Moses couldn't even go into the presence of God. God said, I'm going to put you in the cleft of rock and you're going to see the backside of me because if you saw me, my, my glory, my perfectness, my holiness, it would kill you. You'd be dead. But that's the loving, merciful God that we serve. He made a way so that we could live with Him for eternity. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because Jonah in that aspect was a foreshadowing of Christ. That's right. Yes. Absolutely. Whew! I get excited. And I don't mean to be harsh. I don't take that to me being harsh. But no, sir, show me. Everything would show me where it said you could be in the presence of God before the death and resurrection of Jesus. You may believe it. I understand you believe it, but based on what? Because I, I got plenty of evidence here to say otherwise. See, that's that's why it's that's why it's important. If that was the case, then I don't have to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior today. I just go out and kill an animal. And say, well, look. Well, I understand that aspect. Well, now we're, now, we're, now we're doing what we do in the sci-fi world, saying we're living in an alternate universe or a parallel universe. We don't know that. We can speculate, obviously. We can speculate. And, and maybe if Adam and, if Adam and Eve hadn't sinned and they had children, which that was God's plan for them to subdue the earth. Remember, what we see in the new heaven, new earth, is what God had planned in the beginning. Understand that. And so, yeah, maybe. I, I mean, I, don't want to, I can't say yes because I don't know. I got it based on what the word says. We can speculate, but I got to go on what the word says, and we don't know that for sure. Don't you love talking about the word of God? I love it. Yes. So, I just make a comment. It's not really a question, but no comments right now. So no I'm kidding. When I say this out loud, it just seems so basic. Okay. But like I, I know and I know that Jesus died on the cross for me and my sins, but like this is why he had to die. Yes. 
But Yeah. He had to. And, and the motivation behind what he did was his love for us. He wants a relationship. He had a relationship with Adam and Eve before sin. I mean, he would walk with them in the cool of the afternoon car. And he wants that. So his motivation is why he, his love is motivation. But he had to do it because he's a God of justice. Okay? And, and I understand where Brother Gerald's going. He, but here's the reality. If Jesus had never, according to Scripture, Jesus never died, those, those saints of the Old Testament prior to Jesus' death would still, they, they wouldn't be in torment. They're not, they're not in hell. They're, they would be in paradise. Jesus said, see, Jesus didn't go to the presence of God when he died. He had to become the, he, he had to die and then he became the high priest. He, he said to the thief on the cross, today you will be, he said, when you go into your kingdom, will you remember? He said, today you will be with me in Paradise. Sure did. And then, so when Jesus died, that's where he went and he preached, took authority over hell, both sides. Okay? And, and then he... Now, there again, we're chasing a little bit of a rabbit here, but I, okay, so I don't want to go too far down this road because I don't have all the answers to this. But most likely at that point, after three days, Jesus rose again. We're pretty confident at that point he had not ascended to the Father, even when he rose from the grave. Because he says to Mary, don't touch me, for I have not gone to my Father. So we're pretty sure he hadn't gone to his Father. Otherwise, he's lying, which means that he wouldn't be perfect. Uh, <clears throat> but something happens a week later when he goes to Thomas and says, here, Thomas, touch me. We don't have any scriptural evidence, so brother, I can't make this doctrine. This is just speculation, like you just talked about sin, would it still come? But somewhere in there, he had to ascend to the Father, and he, has, he had to ascend to, lay the, to, to present his sacrifice as the high priest. As our, all right? Then he comes back and says, touch me. Something's happened to his body. He's got his glorified body. He walks through walls. I mean, come on. And then he tells his disciples something that's very unique. He breathed on them. He said, receive my spirit. What took place right there? They were saved under the new covenant. They come, out they come out because he had ascended, presented the blood to his father. I'm the perfect sacrifice. I'm their high priest. I represent them. I'm one of them. I was flesh, but I was perfect in every way. Come on. Let the light bulbs come on. This is good stuff right here. So I'm presenting my blood to you as their high priest, perfect sacrifice. I'm going back down. Again, I don't have scripture to say this is how it went, but something happened because he said, touch me, walk through a wall, glorified body, touch me. An unglorified body could not walk through the wall. It rose from dead. It's still flesh, rotten possibly after three days. Walks through a wall, breathes on them, says, receive my spirit. Well, what's that? The Holy Spirit, they're out from underneath the old covenant because he's presented his body in blood, and so now he's, they're under the new covenant and they're saved. That's why I, when you go to Acts 2, I know that wasn't salvation at the outpouring of the Holy Spirit because they were already saved. In Acts 2, when they're baptized in the Holy Spirit, that's the second work of grace that Joel chapter 2 promises. Okay, questions? Yes, sir. Oh my goodness, that's really true. And 
No, I agree. I'm not, I'm not saying he did touch him. I'm just saying Jesus says, well, here I am. Put your hands. He offered it to him. Yeah, but, but Thomas, just seeing him was evidence enough. I mean, the man just, would you be called a man then at that point? He's, he's Jesus, so he walks through. Anyways, Jesus walks through the wall. Okay, that's something I've never seen before. And then he sees the piercings in his hands and he hits at my side. Yeah, I'm not saying he touched him, um, but understand, though, that Jesus offered him to touch him. And the fact that he walked through the wall lets you know he had his glorified body. That's why I personally, although there's no scriptural evidence, I guess that is evidence. That's why I believe it. sometime between the garden and the next week, the next Sunday, he ascended to his father. And I believe that's when he presented the blood, his blood as the high priest and... Boom, and then he ascended, and now he is actually. Some believe he, he waited to ascended uh, to the right hand of the Father to do that. Okay, maybe so. Maybe that's it. But if that's the case, I'm, I'm a little confused as how he walked through the walls if he didn't have his glorified body, and how could they receive his spirit if he hadn't already. I don't know, but I don't know. I'm, I could be wrong on that, so don't, don't hold me to that. That's just my thinking it out loud and trying to think through this all these, all these years. So. But it, it doesn't change the facts, though, right? Anyways, any questions, any comments? I mean, this is, this is good. Like I said, I knew we wouldn't get finished with 10. I'm a little hung up on, um, we assume that he, is, he ascended after he seen. I'm, I'm, I'm making that assumption. You don't, have to, you don't have to agree with me. I'm too, but I'm thinking, I never thought of this before. He was at the throne room of God, the Father. And I know he is mm -hmm. all in one, but that's the only time in the Bible that talks about Jesus being present before I guess he ascended and nowhere else after that does it talk about him showing himself to anybody well yeah well when, G uh, when before Jesus ascended in, in, in the book of Acts it, it says he was around for 50 days that's why Pentecost the day of Pentecost this means 50th it was a celebration I believe the harvest of the barley forgive me on that I think it's the harvest barley it's the Old Testament celebration by by the way that's a great study look at all their festivals they all point to Christ they're foreshadowing of Christ. But so it's fit. That's what Pentecost means. We, it means today the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But prior to that, it was just a festival where it's the first fruits of the barley harvest. Um, but we know for those 50 days, the Bible tells us that he presented himself to many and continued to teach about the kingdom of God. But as far as we're aware, when he ascended after he told his disciples to go and wait on the promise, there, there's, there's no biblical evidence that he ever returned to the earth. I'm getting at the fact that like Moses had looked at God's backside. Yeah. But Jesus actually ascended, I think, to the throne. Yes. And then he was able to show himself to his apostles. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, without them being right, uh, right. You know, blinded or whatever you want to say. Well that's a good point. That's a good point. John never had thought about that. Um but I, <laughs> yeah. Well, just understand. I'm, I'm. I try to be careful to teach accurately by the book, by by this book. So that's why sometimes my opinion. That's why I'm saying I'm not saying you. I'm right when I say that uh, he ascended a, a, to the throne room of God and came back down to presume himself to his apostle. I, I'm by no means. Am I? Am I saying that that's doctrinally correct? I'm just saying this, like like I told, told Brother Gerald over here. Sometimes we can speculate. That's I'm speculating that by no means do I mean to imply that that's biblically accurate. It's just my way of thinking. Okay, well if this happened, this happened. How did this happen? 
Could this have happened? I could be totally wrong. I could be totally wrong. There are a whole lot of things we'll find out later. <laughs> yes. Well, yes. Did I, there a question back there? Miss Pat? Yes. Okay, there, what I'm saying is there's no scriptural evidence that what I'm saying, this is my opinion, okay, that this might have been what had happened. All right, we see at the, at, at the open tomb, he says to Mary, don't touch me. Okay, I've not, I've, not, I've not gone to my father yet. He didn't have the glorified body. We see a week later on the, on the, on the Lord's day as the, as the disciples gathered, that now he, he, actually we see him before then on the beach with Peter, I believe. I get my timeline right there. But we see that he's there and he actually had met with the disciples before that because he said, you know, make sure Peter's there as well. But we definitely, because they even went to told Thomas, remember? Because they said, hey Thomas, hey, we've seen him and he said, I won't believe I, he's alive until, so, but he shows up, he walks through the walls, he walks through the doors. All right. My, my point in my my analysis or my analytical thinking is how did he walk first of all through a wall if he didn't have his glorified body that's what that's what my point is there then why would he offer for thomas to touch him if he just told mary a week before don't touch me because i've not been to my father i don't have my glorified body on the road to emmaus there again would that would that not constitute him having his glorified body. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. I'm just thinking that without really going back and reading that scripture again. Uh, obviously, I guess, he, I guess being without his glorified body and it being two weeks into it, I, I guess maybe his body still could be preserved. I'm, I'm thinking in natural terms, a, a, a deceased body starts breaking down after so many days. That's what my point is. I'm thinking analytically now. That doesn't mean God couldn't have supernaturally said, no, we're not going to let your body decay. I'm just talking about from a natural analytical way of thinking that I do, logical way of thinking. I'm saying I, I think something had to happen between the Resurrection Sunday and the Sunday he met with, with Thomas and the rest of the disciples. That's what my point was. So he, I'm, I'm saying did he ascend to the Father, present his sacrifice to the Lord, get his glorified body, return to meet with his disciples, and then breathe on them and say, receive my spirit. I don't know biblically how they could receive his spirit if he hadn't already made atonement for them in, in the throne room of God. Because their earthly tabernacle is a form or a, a model of what is in heaven. And we know that. So, you see, that's what my point is. So, does that clarify? I hope that clarifies a little bit. I'm not trying to say that's doctrine. I'm just, I want you guys to go and think some more on it. And don't go start Googling things on the internet. Get in the Word and read and pray about it. I mean, it's okay. Just make sure your sources. Is legit. That's all. Brother Gerald? Then I'll come over here to Brother Bill. I would like to point out one of the scriptures that might clarify some things. In Egypt, they put door, the blood on the door. <laughs> yes. And he said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Mm-hmm. Yes. And became the screen through which he saw all mankind. And so he says, when I see my son's blood, 
ready yet. Don't touch me. I have And he, but on the other hand, Thomas didn't need to touch him. But he offered it to him. He offered it to him. But we know that when Jesus died, he, he did not go to heaven at that moment. For three days, as Jonah was in the belly of the whale, so was Christ, so was Jesus in Shul. And we know that he was preaching to those who were in paradise. See? Okay? We often think of uh, hell or Shul or paradise or sin to heaven as someone we have to go. It can be from a blink of life here to here, which it's going to be. Yeah. It's not like it's some great distance. We keep thinking in today's terms, point A to point B. And well, as you will find in weeks to come, in the, in, in the moment that it takes light to reflect off your eyeball is how quickly when the rapture takes place, you'll have your glorified body and you'll be in the presence of Jesus. Now, he won't be in heaven at that point. He'll be in the clouds. But we will go back with him until he see. So, yeah, see, it, that, that's what I know. It kind of makes your brain hurt a little bit. But we need to be very careful what we teach or say, don't we? Because we need to be accurate for sure. See. I need to go over Brother Bill. He's been waiting patiently. Go ahead, Brother. I just want to go with the foundation of your... Yes. Over here back there. Well, you're going way back. I got stuck. Yeah, I got stuck. Okay. Because I, I, I believe that's day one. Okay. When God created the light. He, Good. He already knew what was coming. Yeah. Uh, any, any creator, engineer, designer. Yeah, architect, he, all that. Yeah. He knew what was coming. Yeah. I agree, yes. So he knows what Satan is going to do. He knows what Adam and Eve are going to do. Yeah. And he, Jesus knew what he was going to do in the future. Yeah. And just to add the other thing, because I think it was a couple of weeks ago, Jesus is all three. Right. He's God, mm -hmm. high priest, yes. and he's our sacrifice. Absolutely. So when you look at the Jewish temple, Jesus is all three. Absolutely. Something a few weeks ago when you had said it. Yeah. It was like, wow. Yeah. Listen, you can go as deep as your mind will allow you to go in the Word of God, or you can just stay on the, on the fringes, but it's, it's deep. It is when you look at that. I mean, that, that study alone in the temple, um, that would be months of just, I mean, because it's, it's, it's rich, it's good stuff. All right. I just, we're probably going to camp out right here and stop and pick up um, in verse 11, not next week, but two weeks, the first Wednesday. But I, I want to make sure that before we shut it down, that we're, we're all clear. I don't want anyone going away confused or frustrated or thinking I'm teaching heresy or ready to give it up. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. I'm being a little facetious there, sarcastic, obviously. Uh, but it's, it's very important we, we understand this is... This is foundational, but yet so this is rich doctrine right here. This is, I mean, I hate to even use the word doctrine because people say, well, doctrine, that's just head knock. No, I'm talking about this is what our salvation is based upon. The very things that we've discussed tonight is the foundation uh, from God's plan for man, God's plan for Christ, or God's plan for the world, God's plan for Christ, and God's plan for man is, is all right here. And this is, this is, that's why I say when we started working, looking at Hebrews, I knew it was going to be, it's, it's just, it's a little bit, Tougher book because of the fact that where he's coming from, but it's you got to got to kind of look at some of the historical or the the, the Jewish uh, uh, beliefs, traditions, and so forth of worship. Yes, sir. Uh, 
know people that really struggle with why God created mankind, knowing that a big portion of them were gone. Thank you for joining our podcast. Here at Bear Creek AG, our goal is to help others know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Have a great week.